Welcome to the Recycle Podcast, where we discuss everyday issues from a mental health perspective. We are your hosts, Dr. LaFanya Jones, Dr. Rashonda Strickland, and Dr. Michelle Wall. Now don't get it twisted. We're not going to be your stereotypical therapist. What we will be is down to earth, informative, a little spicy, and vulnerable. All right, interns, turn up the volume, grab your pen and paper. It's supervision time. As a reminder, this podcast is not meant to take the place of a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to session three, Trope Trippin' Part Two. As promised, guys, this week we're discussing the trope tripping that you all have to experience as black men. And ladies, we cut ours off because we could have gone weeks and weeks and weeks. As a note to all of our black men out there, this is not going to be a man bashing session where we just talk about all of the, you know, negative things that men do. This is by no means us trying to say that we know what you go through and experience by any means. This is just us providing information through research and just through conversations that we've had with different men of all ages. So something that we found um, in reference to, you know, black male life was a quote by Booker T. Washington that says, The prime condition of slavery was to keep closed every avenue to knowledge. The Negro had no estate, no family. His sole inheritance was his body. So just kind of to elaborate on that quote, we all know as African-American people that it was a struggle for us to get a piece of grass of our own. And to see through movies, to see through just kind of the relationships of older men that during that time, slavery time, they weren't able to, it wasn't that they were not capable, they were not able to take care of their family or protect their family as they wanted to. And if they did, they were killed. It's unfortunate that slavery was rationalized is that they had to keep us in slavery Otherwise, we will become criminal savage. Mm-hmm. One thing that I was thinking about is how to kind of piggyback off that criminal savage idea is, you know, the way black men were viewed at that time hmm. in order to kind of mm, animal and I don't know what the word I'm looking for is to create them to so that they were no longer seen as human. human. Yeah. Um, in, and the idea that they were strong and had all of these muscles and were able to do this work from sun up to sundown without a break, which is where the term work yourself to death actually comes from just standing up on, you know, the auction houses and being mm-hmm. viewed and poked and prodded and yeah. squeezed and all of these different things to be otherized and yeah. mm-hmm. dehumanized that's the word I was looking for earlier yeah. um 
you know, I think that kind of goes along with that. I have to dehumanize you in my mind in order to be able to rationalize that what I'm doing is actually okay. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, when I was trying to get, you know, more information about this episode, because obviously I'm a black woman, not a black man. I want to make sure that I poll and pull information from them. A guy that I know that I've known most of my life, his name is Brandon Johnson. He stated black men have to be politically correct all the time. We always have to be on edge from what is portrayed by people that have a negative vision of black men. So we don't only have to fight masculine discrimination, but we have to fight a crooked mindset. In the history of black masculinity, black men had to tread lightly because it meant life or death. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so unfortunate. You know, I do think that that's one of the, that's a key factor. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of goes along with what I was saying about, you know, you cannot just be a human. You have to be some otherworldly thing Mm-hmm. or just a thing in general so that you can survive. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the mindset. And this is something that I think a lot of people will understand is that when we have like the battered women syndrome, mm-hmm. yes. it's like, okay, I Stock always home. have to like, mm-hmm. I'm on this fine line of, okay, I need to do everything to try to get into a good position, but then I can't do this because then this is going to be a problem. It's like, you're in a constant state of anxiety and friction that's just not a way that you can't stay in that state of mind for a long time without it having some horrible effects which we see today after generations and generations of that yes yeah so one thing I talk with my clients about that when we're dealing with children and some of the issues that they have with their kids is association Mm-hmm. And, you know, I talk with them that your kids are associating behaviors with certain responses. So you have stimulus response and through association is how they develop how to be in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we, you know, during slavery times, we associated certain behaviors with certain things mm-hmm. and then acted accordingly. Correct. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. So talking back is associated. Okay. So I know I don't want to get whipped. So let me not do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, if I don't do... Uh, you know, I don't want to speak to numbers and things like that, but if you're picking cotton or doing cucumbers or tobacco or something, if mm-hmm. I don't do a certain number of bales, then that equals this. Yeah. yeah. You know, or if I say no, that equals this and just associating over time and then teaching those associations to your children. Yeah. You know, the thing is, you know, my, my heart breaks for black men, not that black women don't have it difficult, but black men, it's almost like they have, always and feel like they always have been under the thumb of people of other cultures it's almost like their anxiety can't leave they're always competing it's it's so much it's just no safe place for them it's um it's a difficult place to navigate and often what ends up happening is that they put that pressure on themselves yeah and then it creates this narrative of I have to be a certain type of way and then there's no growth. Mm-hmm. And we see that a lot nowadays, you know, back in the day, they were trying to grow and trying to grow because they were trying to be get from under slavery, obviously. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's like, okay, this is how it's supposed to be to be a black man. This is how it's supposed to be to do this. And it's only 
it's a mindset of only having one way to do something and it's actually now a hindrance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the first novels that was written about black men, it demonized him and put him in the category of being a black man who forced himself on white women. Mm -hmm. And that's the picture. So yeah. now when back then, well, even now, I guess at times, <laughs> but it's like, we're not too far away. Exactly. But back then they were definitely anytime they saw a black man, they clutched their pearls. And so, you know, if you, if that's how you're viewed by people, how can you truly have a clear identity of who you are other than being seeing yourself as a demon as a perpetrator Mm -hmm. you know it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah Mm -hmm. you say i'm this so i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna fulfill uh i'm gonna step into those uh shoes and fully become that person you know of course everybody's not following that path but that is one way that black men end up showing up in the world because it's like damned if i do damned if i don't Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I was thinking you have this weird dichotomy when it comes to black men. So they are fetishized by just about everybody. everybody. <laughs> and then <laughs> but simultaneously demonized by everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How can it be both? Yeah. Right. Like I was when we were doing this research, I kept thinking to myself, so are black people lazy or are we hard workers? Like, which one is it? Right. We, uh-huh. we can't be both. Right. Are we really good at what we do or we're no good at anything? It's weird. It's weird that no one is, well, I'm not going to say that no one's picking it up because people are picking it up, but it's just like whatever I say goes and that's what we're going to go with. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. We know we're hard workers as a culture, but they come in and put their little stamp on it and, and snatches it from us. Mm-hmm. And then make it like it's just what it's supposed to be like you're lazy this culture is lazy that's it when we know we'll work four and five jobs if we have to to make things mean uh the ends meet Mm -hmm. but i think it goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier is i have to be able to rationalize in my mind the treatment that you are receiving so i have to say you're lazy even though i will work you from sun up to sundown yeah so be so in my mind that makes sense because you're lazy you know it's this weird they have to assuage the guilt yeah it is a it's a definite uh cognitive dissonance you know for those out there phrase yeah for those (laughs) out there that don't know what cognitive dissonance is it's essentially you have two competing uh ideas or kind of internal thought processes that don't quite match up So like Dr. Wall was saying, you know, are you lazy or are you a hard worker? And those two ideas can't really coexist in the same space. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how much evidence you have, you're going to stick to that. Mm -hmm. They created this demonized title for black men as being men who force themselves on white women. But according to statistics, most of the forcing was from them, white men. Mm-hmm. And just because you summoned a black woman to come and sleep with you, it doesn't mean it wasn't rape. She was forced to. Well, what other option did she have to exactly. be like beat, killed, kids taken away, them beat? 
husband be killed. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you have to go do what you got to do in order to, to make it the next day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. statistically black men were not the ones forcing themselves on women. I'm going to just say women, not just white women, but women period. Yeah. Statistically. Well, they didn't have any power. I think people kind of forget that. Um, not that innately they didn't have any power, but in slavery, you have the oppressor and you have the oppressed. Mm-hmm. The oppressor was the owner of the slaves. Yeah. The mm-hmm. oppressed was the slaves. So the slaves weren't the ones running the plantation. They were the work. They were the the field hands and the, the house help and different things like that. It, we weren't you know, out there living our best lives. We were were, were living our worst lives. Right, right. (laughs) We tried to have moments of bliss. I truly believe that the lynching part obviously was something they wanted to do. But I also believe and read that it was a way to keep black people in line. Yeah. It was a way to keep them from voting, keep them from mm -hmm, applying (laughs) for They work. Right, they do. Work well. Right. To this day. I was, <laughs> exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth because it's working. Just thinking about this whole mask thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's working. Fear mongering is a real fear mongering and pop- propaganda work phenomenally. Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that actually does what it's supposed to do, it's those things. it's those two things. Mm-hmm. We we are well, we've always been. I'm not going to say just now, but it is amazing to see that no one likes to research and use their brain it's just like oh because this person is in this position then they must be right no people be wrong even if their intent is not to be wrong maybe they really thought that um whatever they were saying was factual you need to fact check some things that come over the airwaves through the news channels um from your mama from your daddy like every and experience and experiences because everybody's experience is not the same. So what may have been your experience or what may have been right for you is not exactly what I've experienced. And that doesn't make either one of them wrong. It makes it our individual experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say even with the experience, you know, when if you have an experience that's different from what you're seeing and hearing through so, so, social media, believe your own experience. You don't, ha- just because mm-hmm. they say that, on the social medias or whatever you that, that doesn't mean that it's true because you know it's not true your mm-hmm. evidence is different yeah so if you yeah. know that you haven't had a uncomfortable experience with a black woman or black man then why are you still believing that they're demon that black men are demonized mm. yeah I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're all on the same page. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess we can go ahead and get into some of the tropes okay. and then that way mm-hmm. we can start breaking them down because there are like one or two more uh, than we have for the black women. So again, I'm going to go historically <laughs> how they were set up. Yeah. Um, so the first one is the Mandingo or the Buck. The second one is the Sambo. The third one is the Jim Crow. The fourth is the Uncle Tom. The fifth is the Savage. And then we have like a little interlude in there because um, <laughs> we didn't add this to the women. But um, we're going to also discuss the stereotype of black people eating watermelon and fried chicken just because that goes historically into what we're talking about. 
the next one is drug addicts, dealers, or the thug. We also have the magical Negro and, of course, the athlete. <laughs> oh, the athlete. <laughs> <laughs> Where do y'all want to start? <laughs> Let's start with the Mandingo and the Buck. Well, that kind of goes back to a little bit earlier of that, you know, you're strong and you have muscles and working outside in fields <laughs> all day long. Right. You know, just right. labor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the sun. <laughs> okay. Uh just glisten all over your body yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know that came from that idea that black men inherently have this different structure mm-hmm. that's more capable of handling hard work yeah. you know yeah. that their muscle structure is designed for them to lift heavy work long hours and Mm -hmm. just essentially become a workhorse yeah which i mean if you if anybody has ever worked out or had a trainer you know if you don't use your muscles you're gonna be struggling in the gym so it's a lot of thought processes that don't really make any sense put onto these stereotypes so just so we all have a heads up about that um with the Mandingo portion of that, that is the uh, African slave that was over-sexualized, mm-hmm. um, thought to have huge genitalia and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the buck had a tendency, like Dr. Strickland was talking about, to be the workhorse. But also the reason why that phrase, the buck, is so um, important is because there's this phrase called buck breaking and a lot of people don't understand why the african-american community has such a huge homophobic response to the lgbtq community Mm -hmm. and it's because buck breaking was where white slave owners would assault um the the slave and try to to break them essentially and get them to be subservient and obedient. And a lot of times it wasn't just the, the black women being forced. We're trying to be politically correct here. People, (laughs) the black women being forced. It was also the black men. Yeah. And I, you know, the thing is when you, when you discuss things like that, Dr. Wall, that has to be the most, I'm trying to think of a politically correct (laughs) word without, and I don't want to curse. That has to be the most emasculating. Yeah. Yeah. Degrading. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Degrading feeling Mm -hmm. for a man. Now I'm again, I'm not trying to minimize. We had our week last week. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But men that they don't have in any, they have an Audi. They supposed. <laughs> I'm wait a minute. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I'm serious. Only you. They Only don't. You. They're not supposed to be inserted. You know, we are, and that's so. That has to be the worst experience. If it, especially if it's not by choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It. I don't know. It How just do you it, pick up from there. <laughs> it well, it just pisses me off. I know that we yes. we trying to watch how mm-hmm. explicit we are, but it, it I it infuriates me. Yeah, because you got to think this is not 
your stereotypical situation like this where it's just okay this group of people and blah 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 like the whole plantation knows this is going on yeah yeah your significant other if if that was even if you were even on the same plantation your children everybody in on the field everybody in the house the the slave owner's family like this this is horrible yeah Yeah. and you you can only imagine this this was not a gentle situation no god no i mean in every sense of the word forcible yeah you know there was no well it wasn't courtship i mean that's the thing no Right. You know, yeah. it was spirit breaking. Yeah. In all, in every essence of the word. To diminish, diminish everything about whoever that individual was. And that's one of the reasons why when I have couples in my session um, and there and I hear the woman, you know, talking and, and, and emasculating him and, you know, things like that. I have to remind the the wives of those marriages your husband need, needs his ego stroke too. Just because he's a man and we try and pretend like they don't have mm-hmm. emotions and feelings and they don't need compliments and things like that. That's not true. No, they're not. They're not supposed to only be strong. Too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to get off of that one because my spirit, my blood pressure going up. I'm feeling, <laughs> feeling some type of way. The next one is the Sambo. And that typically would be the the slave that was happy and simple minded, very docile. Um, it is the the slave that was typically called like the plantation darky. Mm. Oh, how see, do you get into now that, that one, one gets in? See, that one gets my blood pressure up. So, if <laughs> anything that about me, Doctor Jones and Doctor Wall both know that I'm a huge. I have a huge thing about colorism. Yeah. Um, so just even hearing that word right now, like I can feel my face getting flush right now um, because it's something that I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. And just to know that that was an idea held by people, is it's really hard to kind of wrap your mind around. In modern day times, just knowing how you experience the people in your life now, yeah. that you could be viewed as a simple-minded, just buffoon. Mm. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. Just because they're happy and like to sing, possibly like to sing around, (laughs) sing around the, you know, plantation or, you know, the thing is they had to do something to keep their spirits up Yeah, to not go crazy. You know, a lot of times I think about, and I don't know if this is true because obviously I wasn't alive back then. I wonder if the Sambo was not a place of neutrality. Okay. For the slave to exist, mm-hmm. not doing too much, not doing too little. I'm following through with what you feel like I need to do. Of course, there's there's a negative to this to this uh, character, you know. Yeah, but it it makes me wonder, like, where their mind had to be in order to be this person. Mm-hmm. You know. Of course, these are all stereotypes, but there is always a little truth somewhere in there Mm -hmm. well it kind of is a throwback to our episode on stress so you try to have you know good times even in stressful times yeah so i have to have some you stress so that i don't Mm -hmm. go crazy yeah you know for whatever that actually that word actually means but so that i don't lash out and you know hurt everybody here 
I will wonder how, you know, if that is equivalent to how, even though I know it's not balanced, but equivalent to how we are now, like if we, if we're on a job and we don't like it, we'll try to stick in, stick with it until we just can't anymore. And while we're sticking with it, we're trying to stay as positive as we can because mm-hmm. I can that's that. all we can do. Yeah. But the difference is now we can quit. True. Quickly. <laughs> <laughs> then walking papers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Ooh. Well, the next one, um, and this is one that we actually didn't know about, uh, or we didn't know about this name. It is the Jim Crow. Mm. The other name that is typically known by is the buffoon. And that is technically the northern counterpart of the Sambo. And it's the clown dancing around, shucking and jiving, that that type of energy. It's the fool of uh, the black stereotypes. And I think a, a lot of that still exists today when you uh-huh. see, you know, in media like slapstick comedy uh-huh. or certain types. Now, I love the Wayans. So this is no, <laughs> no, you know. No Wayans negativity slander slander is being (laughs) done here. But when you think about their type of comedy in some of their movies, like Mm -hmm. Scary Movie or um, uh, what's the one with the ghost? I can't remember the name of that one. But it's very... Scream? No, it's not Scream. They did another parody one. Marlon Wayans did a parody one by himself. Oh, and I can't remember the name of, of it off the mm-hmm. top of my head, but it's very much that kind of over the top black stereotype mm-hmm. kind of, I'm going to do anything that I can to get a laugh out of you. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of thing. I also wonder if it, if it's uh, something similar to the Sandman from the Apollo. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Yes. That comes from mm-hmm. that. And for those that don't know, the Jim Crow was an, um, initiated from the first minstrel shows that used to come out and that's where the white the white actor if that's what you want to call them would dress themselves up in black paint Mm -hmm. um well it wasn't paint back then it was black cork but that's how it initiated and it was just an over generalization of certain characteristics that they had saw from us doing you know us doing or i mean like we talked about last time how are you going to generalize the fact that we want to be happy and have a good time and things of that nature? And then you turn it into a caricature of who we actually are. That's exactly what the minstrel show shows did. Yeah. Yeah. It puts me in the mind of the idea that there's that old saying that misery loves company, but it's kind of like, well, because I'm not satisfied with where my life is. And if you try to be happy or do better, then I have to find some way yeah. of tearing that down, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, to essentially make myself feel comfortable. Feel good. It reminds me, I can't remember if it's Nina Simone or not, but it reminds me of a quote that she has and I'm going to mess it up. But the general, the gist is that um white people's happiness cannot be found within black people's misery. Hmm. Now, I don't know if that's her. It could have been another her, but it <laughs> y'all look it up. <laughs> but it's true. But though. It's tr- yes. Yeah. Man, it is. That's a word. But a part of that too, I believe, and although it's decades of struggle, 
we have to stop letting them pretend like they can too. Yeah. You know, I think it's up to us now to create the narrative of who we are now. And, but, but in order to do that, we have to stop living. I know this is on solutions. Sorry, (laughs) but I'm saying this one now we have to stop living. Um, like those narratives are true or still true. We have to begin to teach our children something different. And we have to, we have to be different. Yeah. You have to get rid of the victim mentality, slave mentality. And that's going to be a huge undertaking because that's a lot of hundreds of years to unpack and heal from. Mm -hmm. And it's on both sides. I think people forget that like black people need to heal from slavery Mm -hmm. and the craziness and white people need to heal from the slavery, slavery and craziness and not in the same way, Mm -hmm. but there is, you have to change and change is hard and everybody's not going to want to do the right thing on either side. And I think black people are going to have to get past the fact that we are not going to get an apology or something that's going to ease what happened. We're going to have to heal without that. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't really know what this, the apology would do anyway, yeah, I, because I the either. people that did it, are de- well, the people that started it are dead. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Phrase that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that kind of complicates some of what you guys are talking about is, um, I was talking about this with someone uh, earlier this week, And one of the struggles he's been having is some of the race relations at his job Mm -hmm. and how he has uh, wanted to change some of the circumstances in his life. And he grew up in in the hood Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's gone to college and done better for himself, but he's still struggling with dealing with some of his um, white, you know, coworkers. Gotcha. And. What, you know, he was saying that his friends don't treat him the same and that, you know, they say you change and all that stuff. And one of the things I was talking him, with him about is for American society, one of the things you have to understand is the more successful you get, the closer to whiteness you have to become. Yeah. That's just kind of the way our society is set up, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which I think complicates some of the things that you guys are talking yeah, about. Yeah. It definitely does. You know? mm-hmm. Kind of back to what we were saying last time, and we didn't really go into full depth about it is how when we go on job interviews as black women typically they want our hair to be straight because that is a european standard of beauty however black people our hair don't come out our scalp like that i don't, I don't know if y'all know that right. it come out in some type of wave or curl typically because yeah. of the way the hair follicle is set up in case y'all want to research that but um it's hard you know we and I think that's one reason why we see such a a growing number of black people having ownership in business. Not that we haven't done that in the past, but, th- you know, this is one of them seasons where our stuff is not getting burned down and bombed and all that kind of stuff. We get to keep it is because oh. we get to be ourselves in the in this setting now. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I do believe that. There is definitely some truth to the more professional or the closer to a career you get, the more white we have to be. And that's so unfortunate. That's so that, which is why I do agree with you. It's, it's going to be difficult for us to get far removed from that mentality Yeah, because we have to pretend to be something 
or someone that we're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why we got to get into more positions of power in the company so that people in general can just be whoever it is they are. Yeah, true. So Absolutely. Well, the next trope is the Uncle Tom, a.k.a. the sellout, and also in further history was considered the house Negro. Every time I think of Uncle Tom, the first thing that comes to mind for me is boondocks. I don't know. <laughs> I think about Uncle Ruckus. And for for those people out there that know what, uh, the show The Boondocks by uh, Aaron Magruder, it's a, a, I guess, cartoon that comes on. or you, I don't know if it's on the air anymore. Uh, but it's about these very militant young, one young boy that's very militant. And then another young boy that's on the very opposite end of that spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then they have two characters that would kind of embody the idea of the Uncle Tom. Mm -hmm. One is literally named Tom. (laughs) On purpose. (laughs) And then you have Uncle Ruckus. Yeah. Uh, the, The definition that we found was that an Uncle Tom tends to be submissive, obedient, and has a constant desire to have white approval. And the movie that always stands out in my head now that I've watched it uh, years later uh, is Django and Samuel L. Jackson's character. Because, yes, I mean, he yes. was the person running the slaves and everything and dictating how things should go and helping the slave owner out. So he's the person that always pops up in my head now. Because mm-hmm. it's so weird that he would play a role like that because he so well seemed to be so different than than that but he still was himself ironically he was yeah, still crazy he you was. Know. <laughs> i was like okay really Let me, i'm watching you sam yeah yeah again and it's again about dichotomy uh-huh. while he was still the uncle tom he was like in a v- aggressive way though yeah which the that slave owner was very like okay you know like all right we'll we'll do that but he still was kind of placating to what his needs yeah. and wants were i mean it was definitely a an interesting watch mm-hmm. to see how that could be played out mm-hmm. in in a real setting. Yeah. You know, if you have a dominant personality, yet you understand the role that you have to take for survival, mm-hmm. that how those two things can kind of come together. Wow. That's interesting. You say that because it sounds like it doesn't seem like dominant personality and, and dialing it back match. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's like, it depends on who it's to. Yeah. 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 I mean, because one, he wasn't stupid. Mm-mm. So he's he very underst- smart. He understood. Yeah. You know, there's only so far that I can push you. <laughs> and I have to have a little bit of humor in there, mm-hmm. you know, to make it palpable yeah. for you. And so you can digest it. But yeah. I'm not going to go too far. Right. Because mm-hmm. if I go too far, then essentially you'll, you know, air quote, put me back in my place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something that went with him that helped him in his situation was that he was older. Yeah, he wasn't like a young Uncle Tom. And typically in history, what we've seen is that that type of person would probably be more so over the field slaves versus having been in the house like Samuel L. Jackson's character was because he was he was running everything, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like from the house, he was the foreman to the mm-hmm. edge <laughs> of the property. Yeah. So that I mean, that was unusual to see it like that. Yeah. I hadn't really ever seen that before. But no. um, the Uncle Tom is something that is still to this day we talk about and we call people. We do coons. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that if if we're going to be, yeah. you know, forward about that, yeah. you know, that's kind of the more colloquial term now is we just call people that engage in that type of behavior coons. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of like, what else can you say about that? And it's nothing else to say because we st- we still do that. Yeah, yeah, you. And I'll say, you see it in every level. Mm-hmm. It's not just people who haven't like gone to school or whatever other thing you want to compare things to. You see that in corporate America between Black people. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's you typically have the token black person. And then if someone else comes in, they are the person who um, sets the homeostasis for all other black people. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of, I think there's a uh, key and peel sketch that's out there about that. Uh, Where you, you know, another black person comes and then they have like this telepathy (laughs) with each other (laughs) and they can read each other's Mm -hmm. minds by just looking at each other. If we had video, you could see the look that I'm giving Dr. Wall. (laughs) I'm picking up what you're throwing at. (laughs) Right. You know, that it's all it, that there's a commonality in our experiences um, for the most part. And like, I, you know, yeah. Okay. So we good. We good. All right. Mm -hmm. We good. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, The next one is the savage. And the only reason why the savage is not first is that the phrase for black people came later. And it came once we started to get more rights and get freedom and different things like this. Uh, This particular trope, I want to say, was like the early 1900s. 1920s area so that's why we placed it here but typically it was because with our freedom it became a threat to society and we needed to be controlled or needed to be tamed so you know that's kind of where that comes from kind of insert increase lynchings things like that Mm -hmm. when you the savage that comes to mind for me is Emmett Till yeah, like that's mm-hmm. the first name that that is brought up internally for me because it was it was an untruth. Yeah. And that was 55. Yes. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. that long ago. No. Right. I mean, my he, mama wasn't even born yet. So <laughs> neither were my, my neither one of my parents were born yet. Yeah. You know, so it's just when you think about it, it's such a short time ago. But that's like the first thing that kind of comes to mind for me is, you know, you're just out here prowling the streets looking for something to take over. You're looking to, you know, cause all kind of ruckus. You're unhinged. You have no control over your emotions. You have no control over your behavior. So we have to, again, set you straight. But yeah, we're not the ones out here being savage being savage and right doing all this extra stuff every time we get angry that's not what goes on um something we were talking about right before we started was how scientists in the medical world had a huge um part in us becoming savages and how they (laughs) analyzed our bodies our black bodies to indicate that we were savages so like because we had short black hair because we had 
wider noses or because our lips were a certain size or our brain was heavier than a Caucasian brain. Those are some of the reasons why they proved that we were we were savages. Again, trying to tell us that we weren't or aren't good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Pseudoscience is a funny thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as Trump would say, like fake news, like that was like the OG of fake news. Mm -hmm. You know, like you just created this thing and said, it's true. And then Mm -hmm. everyone just kind of glommed onto it and said, oh, well, this person that went to this school in Mm -hmm. Oxford said that the Negroid brain is heavier than the, you know, Caucasoid brain. So you went back to the eighties on that one. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think, um, an example of that in current times is check out what the medical examiner says are people's cause of death Mm -hmm. in police brutality. Death by suicide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I don't really think that's how that happened. Right. Mm-hmm. But okay. If you put your knee on somebody's neck. Yeah. And, and they can't breathe. That's what ends up happening. And you know, that's why a lot of families end up getting a second um examiner oh, yeah. to make mm-hmm. sure that what they say happened is what actually happened. But Absolutely. that's another way that the medical and the scientists are still uh perpetuating that information in today's times. Mm-hmm. So always get second opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Always. (laughs) What do y'all feel the impact of the savage has done to the black men? I think it kind of has perpetuated that whole idea of strong. You know, I think in some ways it has morphed over time into overprotective, super strong, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of mindset. I don't know if it's still savage in the traditional sense of that word yeah, or what it meant for like native Americans. Uh-huh. Um, but I do think that they, for some, I'm not going to of course say all, but for some black men, you know how we talked about last week, what black women used the strong black woman as an answer to the angry black woman. Yeah. I think they've kind of taken on savage and tried to twist that different definition to their benefit even though be strong black men Mm -hmm. got you i think it's encouraged them to become individualistic to only focus on them and or their immediate family got you i don't and i i I truly because i i've been saying for some time now that the united states is very individualistic yeah and i think that definitely perpetuates their idea of being see I told y'all see mm-mm, no I I gotta get I gotta get mine before you get yours and I'm thinking you know I've heard people say this in my personal life and I've heard I've seen this on social media like I go hard for mine mm-hmm. you know and it's just like okay but what do you mean by that you know how is that playing out in your everyday life when you say you go hard for yours so I think that's some of the kind of, like you saying, individualistic yes. idea of like, this is my, this my family. Yes. Or the, these my kids or the, the, you know, that's my wife. Which is why, which I, I think women are like this too, but which is why men have a difficult time with ending relationships that are unhealthy for them when they have children with some, some men with women, because they don't want another man raising their children. Mm-hmm. 
I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, that is, that's going to be one that black men ultimately have to, to change the narrative on. Yeah. And it's going to take a while. Because mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these tropes are still in existence in some type of way, even to this day. So mm-hmm. It's just seen differently yeah because it's outwardly being portrayed differently mm-hmm. i agree with that yeah yeah another one of the tropes that we wanted to talk about is watermelon and fried chicken and a lot of the things that we're discussing co- came from a movie called birth of a nation not not the new one the one in the 1915s um and it depicted a lot of negative stereotypes about black people and people just ran with it because if it was on tv or in the movie theaters it had to be real um but a lot of people don't know the reason why watermelon is attached to black people is because once we were actually given a piece of freedom um we decided to become watermelon farmers a lot of us and with that we started making our own money getting property of course because you got to farm the land and just making something out of ourselves out of a horrible situation and that was threatening to former slave owners or other white people because they were seeing us do something that they could have done but they hadn't and so what ended up happening is that a lot of those farms were ransacked burned to the ground and no longer in existence you can still go in our history and see these um flyers with these caricatures of black people with these huge mouths and one or two teeth eating uh watermelons yeah pickaninnies but it's that's where that comes from it actually was a healthy thing until it was misconstrued Mm -hmm. again (laughs) and i hate watermelon for the record (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean i love it it's my favorite fruit you know but, i like it too um and then fried chicken that's another um play off of the birth of a nation where there was this loud obnoxious black man eating um fried chicken in a legislator hall i think that's what it was i can't remember exactly because i haven't seen the original one in a very long time mm-hmm. but I want to say that's what it was. And so they associate these things for all black people. And I remember my my grandparents are originally from Franklin, Tennessee. And if anybody knows anything about Franklin, you know what type of people live in Franklin. (laughs) And um, my grandfather would not allow us to eat fried chicken, eat watermelon or drink red Kool-Aid outside of the house. Mm hmm. And if we, cause you know, that's all the stereotypes almost wrapped up in the one. Yeah. Right. He was like, you can eat that in the house or you can go outside in the backyard and eat. Cause you know, watermelon can be, you know, messy, but he was like, no, I, I've never in my lifetime saw my grandfather drink any red Kool-Aid. Never. He never ate watermelon off the rind. Like he was so particular about how he wanted things to be. It's a different lifestyle in a different uh that's a you know a different time yeah in life you know but even today because sometimes you can still even feel that you know that <laughs> you don't feel it as 
intensely yeah. as maybe as he did, yeah. but you can still be like, mm, I don't know. I don't know how this look. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's weird now growing up in yeah. a home like I grew up in. Um, and my grandfather also had a military background, but growing up and you go to a restaurant now, well, not in COVID, but when we had a COVID and people are eating with their hands, like that was, uh, mm -hmm. that wasn't something that we could have done back in the day. And even now I'd be like, okay, can we, can I really eat with my hands? Like I'm checking to make sure it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Or if somebody be like, Ooh, you tearing up that chicken. Like the first thing in your mind, you want to like put it down. Because <laughs> yeah. you'd be like, wait, hold on. And you prefer, well, you know, I know you don't eat watermelon, but I prefer for my watermelon to already be cut off and sliced so that I don't have to even deal with all of that on my face. See, and look at that. <laughs> and we are, you know, this many years away from slavery, this many years away yeah. from minstrel shows, this many years away from Jim Crow era. And mm -hmm. again, that still is lingering and left over that in 2020 you would still be thinking you know what let me cut this watermelon up into cubes and eat it with my fork yeah or you know pick up the pieces mm -hmm. or you know what let me eat this chicken at the house yeah or let me eat you know one bite and then chew and then one bite and then chew or it's boneless because i'm boneless. i'm notorious for a chicken uh strip like <laughs> like it ain't gonna have nothing in it um but and you, you have to be conscious of all that stuff because we're not oh yeah and i'm thinking like don't be out in public like sucking on a bone or something like that oh, you know oh, like you really got knocked under the table by your mama <laughs> okay don't like, do what that. you out here doing making us look bad <laughs> and speaking of that that's one thing that we haven't talked about even though this isn't specific to black men uh -huh. is that if one of us messes up it is a representation of all black people yeah that we are essentially speaking while in reality we know that one black person cannot actually speak for all black people but when we are viewed from the outside if one black person does something then that means we all did something yeah which i'm so thankful because if everybody thought i was like kanye west <laughs> i'd be so upset yeah <laughs> yeah he yeah he got some he's, things going on. He's struggling this week. He's he struggling. Is, definitely. <laughs> well, let's move on because we don't need to stay on that that man too long either. Mm -mm. Uh, That's a whole nother podcast. Clearly. <laughs> black mental health on black men. That's yes. that's the topic right there. Yes. Um, the next one is kind of a big category, but it's the drug addict, drug dealer, or the thug. I think this one got perpetuated more through the media. You know, yeah. I think this one was definitely a policy thing. And I think it was a media thing. Mm -hmm. um, policy, of course, I mean, again, do your Googles, people. So you can <laughs> you can look at all into, you know, the drug wars and um, 1980s, 1990s. Yes. So you can look into all of that. But I think some of that also got perpetuated through rightfully so through movies like new jack city boys mm -hmm. in the hood minister society yeah um they told some very wonderful stories but i think it kind of perpetuated that drug dealer that's a lifestyle right and once it was put before our eyes then it was connected it, like it always has been it's mm -hmm. connected but if statistically go to a reputable website and look at the statistics on black drug addicts and white 
drug addicts. And although the percentage looks higher for black people, you have to look at the population that they used, how many people was in that population Mm -hmm. to get that percentage. Yeah. And the types of drugs that we use, two totally different things. Yeah. You know, I think that was another thing. So, and this can become a, 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 an income thing yes. as well. You know, whereas crack cocaine was much more prevalent in black neighborhoods. And versus, it's easier to make. It's easier to make. It's cheaper mm-hmm. uh, versus powder cocaine, which was used in, you know, white neighborhoods or upper echelon Mm -hmm. Uh, areas so i think that's another thing that people don't think about with the drug dealer and the i mean there's so many layers to it and i think also we have to make sure we talk about the fact that marijuana up until more recently Mm -hmm. was one of those drugs yes Mm -hmm. even in some states it still is one of those drugs because the whole united states has not um made that a national thing right but that's one of the things that you see more black people in jail for more black people um, using. But if you go over to the opioid side, the pill popping side and the heroin that (laughs) you're going to see more of that when you look at Caucasian uh, individuals. Yeah. And I think some of the drug dealer lifestyle and kind of that thug has been glamorized. Yeah. You know, this is another one I think we've kind of taken that one and ran with it. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a Scarface poster up somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, or the Godfather. You know, so I think that gangster lifestyle, that power, quick money, quick money, power. all of that speaking of power the show oh yeah. everybody loves that show mm-hmm. because of ghosts and all the people that's on the show but it is it's romanticized yeah like that's a hard life to live anybody that has grew up in a community that was impoverished or riddled with you know different drugs they know that w- that wasn't an easy life mm-hmm. yeah typically if you live in it you're like okay let me some people are like let me get with a drug dealer let me run drugs because I'm going to have money and I'm going to be able to provide. But that shouldn't be like your first thing that you go towards. Well, I think the thing, the mentality of that is that I have, from the way society describes me, I have no way to make money a different way, to make a lot of money at one time in a different way. So therefore, I have to do what I need to do uh, look like I need to, the, the way I need to look in order for me to be able to have the power, the money and the respect. Yeah. And one thing I think is interesting. So a, a branch off of the drug dealer, um, thug type is mm-hmm. the, like trying to get out of the hood. Yeah. And one of the ways to get out of the hood was the athlete. Yeah which I think spurred on a different um, stereotype or <laughs> kind of trope for black men, yeah. which is I also, I think is a throwback to the, the book. It is definitely you know? is uh, that our bodies again are just made differently. So if I want to get out of the hood, I'm going to use my body as a method for doing so. Exactly. And one of the most, you know, acceptable ways of doing that is athletics, play ball, Mm -hmm. play football and it's also a correlation with 
black men that the taller they are, the more muscular they are, the more scary they seem to be. Mm-hmm. And that is still played out even with the athletes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. But it's definitely a hard... I think with the athletes, because I have a lot of athletes in my family, it, <laughs> they they also attract a certain type of person. They do. Um, and it then perpetuates the other cycles, the sexualized. I ain't saying cycle. she a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no. Broke, broke. <laughs> <laughs> but that is exactly what pops up. Like if you look at that, because it follows along the same lines of celebrity, you know, fame and things like that it is interesting to see because this man plays really good with balls Wow! (laughs) pun intended that (laughs) that makes him more desirable Hmm. yeah but there also are people who struggle with knowing how to run the business of being an athlete or knowing how to be intelligent and different things like that. And it just, it continues to keep us in a inferior state. You know, that's why I like to see the, the Shaquille O'Neal's and the Michael Jordan's who they didn't, although they were great athletes, they didn't limit themselves to their uh, gift as an athlete. Mm -hmm. They were able to show that you can do something else as well not even if you do decide to become an athlete you still have to set yourself up for success in the future so that can't be your only money maker yeah because you're not gonna have them knees forever Mm -mm. right what the average age for any ball player whether that's football or basketball because those tend to be the two yeah sports that we generally gravitate towards is 40 if that yeah, late 30s, yeah. but by 40, I mean, the body is really starting to break down from all the injuries mm-hmm. and just just running. Mm-hmm. The amount of joint pressure that comes from running and falling and, I mean, all kinds of things. Yeah, I think the only sport that's significantly older than that is baseball, and that's just a different set of maneuvering, yeah. you know. Um, and I think our final one, even though we, we kind of went out of order is the magical Negro. And I think that (laughs) that's a good one to end on because it's a lighter note. Um, I know Dr. Jones was saying something specific about the magical Negro, about being heroes in a lot of movies and different things like that. I forgot. I was shaking my (laughs) head. No, cause I forgot. (laughs) Yes. But so that, that's the in the the black person in a movie where he's the one who protects the main character probably the white character and he's usually the only black person in the movie or the show or whatever so yeah i think examples of that you can find are like the green mile is a good one where you have a magical negro um literally Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Driving Miss Daisy is another one Uh where he just kind of was there. um, Fried Green Tomatoes is another Mm. one um, where he kind of just protected. Oh, I cannot remember the main character girl's name, but he kind of protected her from all sorts of shenanigans. 
I think those are some examples if you were kind of looking for a visual of like, okay, so what is the magical, you know, Negro? Yeah. And the magical Negro, I guess, is kind of equivalent to the awkward black girl in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. or the sassy sidekick for for women. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, that's true. One thing. So, you know, to kind of end uh, out this uh, session, one thing I'm interested in is hopefully to get some feedback from you guys on what your experiences have been in particular, of course, from black men and just living your everyday life. Have you had to face any of these particular tropes? You know, how did they show themselves? How'd you deal with them? Just kind of getting educating us women uh, on some of your experiences, since this is not something that we're going to go through on a daily, we may be able to observe what you experience, but there's, there's nothing like getting firsthand knowledge, like Dr. Wall was saying earlier that she um, obtained from one of her yeah. friends. I think it's good to have these stories and anecdotes so that we know how to better be an ally to you. In order for you to be able to, you know, comment or give us some feedback, go on our Facebook page and just kind of give us some information and hopefully you want you won't mind us sharing it on the podcast because we do want to have dialogue with you all and answer questions next week we're going to dissect a movie the diary of a mad black woman yes okay (laughs) so this is a series that we're going to do about once a month and the idea is to do it on the fourth wednesday of each month Mm -hmm. and we're going to title this segment uh movie mental breakdown where we take a movie um, that is about a specific topic and we look at it from a mental health standpoint. So that will include kind of how the character, how their story arc is developed, what they go through, solutions, you know, what any potential diagnoses that may have been um, mm-hmm. showcased in those movies. You know, how is that sensationalized versus the reality of those things? So we're just going to kind of break it down from a mental health standpoint. So for the people that are following us, you know, if you want to go ahead and uh, watch that movie or if you remember the movie and you already know some questions that you have um, about the movie, just put it in on our Facebook page and we can definitely answer those questions as we're going through our discussion. Or our Instagram. I forgot to say that Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all of those good things. We don't have our streaming services set up to take any comments right now just because we're waiting on that. We don't want to be inundated with too much. So, But thank you all for the support that you all have given us. We have actually received a lot of um, support, a lot of feedback, a lot of just listens (laughs) and so it's been wonderful just to see the support that we have from you all so thank you so okay interns process your notes be sure to catch us next session and find us on all major platforms at the recycled podcast if you're a new intern be sure to like comment subscribe and share thanks for listening and remember We are shifting and reshaping our psyche through healing conversations and connections, one discussion at a time.